Good morning. Is he good to you? I hope you know he's good to you. This will make sense to some of you, and we'll explain it to the rest of you later, but some of you may feel like he's been walking up and down your spinal column in his hobnail boots. But I am here to tell you today that there was victory at the cross and that the enemy has no power over you. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and when he opens his mouth to roar, he is toothless. All he has against you is roar. My God is bigger than my enemies. Does it mean there aren't moments when it feels like I'm in trouble? No, it doesn't. There are moments when I'm in trouble, and sometimes it's my own fault. And sometimes it's things that I cannot control. But I'm going to tell you God is in control this morning, and I'll tell you in a minute just a snippet of how I know. Word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, causing my eyes to see your majesty to be still and know that you are in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God who still speaks, he still hears, he still heals, he still delivers, and he still restores? I have news for you this morning. I believe in this God. I believe in this Jesus. And there is power in the name of Jesus. Let it be so in your hearts and minds today. I had a headache at least, I don't know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. If you haven't tried the Chinese masseuses outside of the 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 bond, Macy's, whatever that store is, 22 bucks, 20 minutes, helps a lot. And then yesterday morning I got up and I quit running a lot. I still run every once in a while. But I know that if I exercise, that circulation of blood through my body will hold off the headache. So Linda was on the bike yesterday and I said, well, I'm going to go run. And when I got back to the house, I said, well, That was interesting. I preached a sermon while I was out. It was really good. (laughs) And then we came here for an event for my sister, and I got the news that Pastor Susie is in the hospital. And if you don't know, Pastor Susie, um, Pastor Ralph had to take her to the hospital early yesterday morning. They thought she may have had a heart attack. Turns out she did not. But they are concerned about a variety of things just with her health, and she's at that age where all of these things are of a concern. So I'm standing right over here, and I, my mom is telling me about this. And as she's talking, I'm thinking to myself, Tony and Sophia are out of town. Ralph really needs to be with Susie. And as much as I love Mr. Rogers, um, he also doesn't need to get up here and pretend to be silly on a day when he's a little tense because his bride is not in a good way. So I stood right there, and I said, well... 
I know I've got it, but it's not my place to tell him. He can call me if he wants to. It does help that Thursday morning we met for an hour and I said something that he liked. So about an hour later yesterday, he called and said, and as soon as I looked at my phone, I went, God, you, God, you're amazing. You're amazing. Because I can't remember the last time I went for a run and preached a sermon the whole way. But it happened to me yesterday. Yes, I did stress out all day yesterday, and I did ask, with asking God, okay, really, can I not just have the recording? Because it was good. <laughs> so I stressed out over it, and now I'm just going to trust God that, that it'll be good. And it, it's God, whether, it's, whether it's good or not, it's God, because I didn't control this. I stood right here on this stage on December 30th of 2018 while we sang these two choruses, Who You Say I Am and Come Alive, which is the song that says dry bones, and it references the prodigals that have walked away from us. And I was reminded then of a word from my grandfather, Everett Roberts, who founded this church years ago. I only heard him think, preach this sermon one time, and he talked about the prodigality of God. So we're going to talk about that this morning. But I have to also say, isn't it amazing how our brains work? So I will confess to you, never have I ever heard the audible voice of God. That is not how he talks to me. And I don't understand you people who hear him, because I'd like that to happen to me. But I do know that when I stand here and sing during practice and we sing those two songs, and I hear in my head the prodigality of God, that's how God speaks to me. Is he brings things back from my memory. He brings things back that I need to know. I will never forget Pastor Dave Easterly in Spokane, Washington. The first time I heard a guy say, this is how you should pray it. Father, let me see your kingdom come in my life today. Whoa. I've heard the Lord's Prayer a million times, and it's the first time I heard a guy say, but how will it come to pass in my life today? You can answer this one with me. If I start right here and draw a line to the back wall, and I'm a millimeter off when I start, how far off will I be when I get to the back, everyone? Too far. Long obedience in the same direction. Yes. It pays. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Yes. Amen. It pays. Yes. Went to visit Cousin Steve in Phoenix. They're going to a church that doesn't believe in women in the ministry and they love their church, so they go to their church, but he had just told the pastor, uh, yeah, one of my favorite preachers is a little old lady, Nadine Taylor, Pat and Nancy and Susie's mom, who will guarantee you <laughs> that the word is true, and you better believe it when she tells you. You see, the word has been repeated over and over to me throughout my life, and I try to listen. 
when a phrase comes back to my mind. The prodigality of God, let me tell you about it. You see, I am who he says I am. I'm not the guy looking back at me in the mirror. I am who he says I am. Turn with me to Luke 15. Really, Kevin? The prodigal again? Yep. We know this story, or we say we know this story. But let me tell it to you one more time. Luke 15. Questions. Why is Jesus telling this story? Why now? Why in this setting? Why on that particular day? What is it that prompted his story? And quite importantly, who is his audience? I believe we need to understand the answers to these questions. So come with me as Jesus is standing and, sorry, <laughs> standing and talking to the riffraff. Sorry. <laughs> He's standing and talking to his people. The prostitute is next to him. The tax collector is in front of him. All of the poor and the needy, all the people who have made tons of mistakes in their lives, and they're all right here. But are they the only ones here? And is this who he's talking to? There's a second group in town. Sorry. The Pharisees are here. They're very drawn to him. Why? Why are they drawn to him? Why do these people care about Jesus? Because they don't like him. And they don't like what he's doing. But they're very drawn to him. They're very drawn to him because they've heard him read the Holy Scripture in the synagogue. And he sounded like a learned man. But that's not possible because he's just the carpenter's son. And all these people are following him. What is going on? my best Paul Roberts imitation, my brother, the thespian. 15.1 in the Message Bible. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and the religious scholars were not pleased. They were not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners. And he eats meals with them. He's treating them like they're his old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Hmm. Imagine that. What? Their grumbling triggered this story? Yeah. 
So who is his real audience? The Pharisees. And what does he hope to gain by telling this story to them? He is loving the unlovely. He's hanging out with all of these bad people. But he tells this story for the benefit of the Pharisees. So who are the Pharisees? I don't, know, I don't know how my brain does this. But I went right to the page. It helped that I put a marker there. Um, I went right to the page in Stan Newton's book where he tells me who the Pharisees are. See, the Pharisees are a group of Jews who were worried that Jewishness was being infiltrated by Greekness. It was called Hellenization, like Helen, not hell. Sorry. The Hellenizing of the Jews was a concern. All this Greek influence is, we're not, we, we can't keep our ducks in a row because the Greeks are messing with our stuff. So we need to tighten up this, our rules. We need to get this right. And initially, they were, it was a good thing. They needed to do that because they were losing control of their stuff. Unfortunately, they carried it a little too far. They overdid it. Because instead of just keeping it, us keeping our rows straight and avoiding the influence of the Greeks, it became, we are so much better than you because we follow all of these rules. Why? So really the question that prompted this story from Jesus was, why are you celebrating? And why are you celebrating with them? So that's really the why of this story is the, he heard them grumbling. He heard them saying the growling thing that he heard them saying. So eventually they took it too far, they lost their way, and on this day in typical Jesus fashion, because this is what Jesus does, when, he, when you ask him a question, he asks you one back, or he tells you a story. So they asked the question, and he told them a story. So once upon a time there was this guy, and he had two sons. And the youngest of the two sons came to his father one day and said, Dad, I'd like all my riches, I'd like my inheritance, and I'd like it now. Now, if that were me, I would have said, you got to be kidding, get back to work. (laughs) This father was apparently much wiser than me because had I forced my son to stay and had I forced him to keep working in the fields, would I have ever had a relationship with him? Maybe. Maybe. Because there is that amazing thing that happens. Again, courtesy, thank you, Steve, who tells me that he told Sean when she was 10, by the way, in about five years, I'm going to be the dumbest man on the planet, and then 10 years later, I'm going to be the smartest man on the planet. Just make sure you tell me when I get smart again. (laughs) So the dad gives him his money, and he sends him on his way. And he has a great time. He really has a good time. And then he becomes prodigal. Oh, what does that word mean? Raise your hand if you know what that word means. That's kind of what I thought, because I didn't know what it meant either. 
prodigal son, it means a kid who runs away from home and takes all of his dad's money. Okay? Then what's Everett doing talking about the prodigality of God? Well, Everett's confused. He's old, and who, what does he know? Okay, he does become famous, and he does become prodigal, because what prodigal means is to spend wastefully. It means to spend lavishly. It means to spend extravagantly. And I've told some of you too much because you've jumped to the end already, which is good. Yes, he becomes prodigal. He spends lavishly. He's very wasteful. He spends extravagantly. He has a really good time. He has lots of friends because they love him because he's wasteful. And who wouldn't love that guy? And then something bad happens, and there's a famine in the land, and he runs out of money, and all of a sudden, everybody that loved him when he had a lot of money, now they, they're not going to give him the time of day because he can't do anything for them. He wakes up one morning, and he's sleeping next to a pig. Keep in mind he's a Jew. Remember what the Jews think of pigs. If you don't know, they, that you can't, not supposed to be around those animals. They're dirty, they're filthy. And he's laying next to the pig, and the best food he can find is what the pigs are eating. And he lays there and goes, what, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I could go home and work for my dad. I could be a servant, and I'd be better off than this. I'm out of here. So... He heads for home. See, Jesus, he's a storyteller. And he knows how to tell this story. The wasteful spender, the prodigal son was not very far down the lane when he looked up and he got the shock of his life. Because here he came, down the road, the real prodigal, the real lavish spender, the real extravagant one was sprinting down the road. And the kid has a plan. And when his dad gets there, he drops to his knees and he says, I'm sorry. I was so foolish, I was so dumb, I wasted all of your money, and I'm so sorry, I don't, I don't know why I did this, it was so stupid, please just, I'll be a servant in your house, I'll do anything you ask me to do, and the dad missed it. He didn't even hear the speech. The kid had a plan. He knew what he was going to do, and he knew how he was going to get back in the house. And the dad missed it. Because instead, thank you, Pastor Tony, instead of trying to fix him first, instead of cleaning him up first, instead of telling him, you got to get this right or you can't come inside my circle, he ran to him. He ran to him and he turned around and he starts yelling back at the house. Come on, servants, bring the best robe. Bring the ring, not the jewelry. 
bring the family ring. The ring that says he's mine. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. But what about his sin, you ask? And what about his wasteful spending? And what about the mess he's made of his life? You see, the real prodigal in the story, we've had it wrong all this time. The real prodigal is not the son. The real prodigal is the father. The real wasteful spender is the dad who says, I don't care how much of your inheritance you spent. You are mine. Because you see, this is the prodigality of God. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You see, we come to the place in our lives when we think we've spent it all and we've overspent our inheritance and there's nothing left and there's no way I'm going to be forgiven this time. But God in his prodigality keeps sending us this message. You are chosen not forsaken. You are who I say you are. You can't outgive this God. The father, father in this story ignores the son's plan and he doesn't even see his sin. Yes. We have to talk about the older brother. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased. They were not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and he eats meals with them. He's treating them like they're old friends. So if we remember who the story was intended for, isn't it just like Jesus? To tell a story that has meaning for the lost outside the church and the lost inside the church. Because he's really pointing his finger at these guys. But in the meantime, he tells these guys, you're mine. You're on my team. Not only that, we have a great team and we're going to win. This is why he's telling the story. And amazingly enough, is he scolding the Pharisees? Kind of. He got them a few times. But does he try to fix them? Did Jesus come to fix the Pharisees? No, because that wasn't how, that's not how the deal was going to be done. So he dealt with them, but he didn't try and fix them. Most of them probably didn't get the message. Most of them probably didn't even know that he was talking to them. 
But this is where the older brother is living. He's living in that place. He has full access to his father's riches, but he doesn't know how to access what he has access to. Because he's too busy trying to get it right. He's too busy trying to be perfect. He's too busy being religious. He's so busy trying to get his doctrine right that he can't even go out and look for his lost brother. Another thanks to Pastor Tony. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, I am. And if I were the older brother, should I have gone out after him? Or should I have stayed home and kept the rows straight for dad? I get it. I get why he stayed home. But no one went out chasing the brother. For those of you who never met Pastor Everett, one of our favorite lines was when the devil's walking up and down your spinal column in his hobnail boots, you just give him the boot. And So that's a Pastor Everett. Prodigality of God, a Pastor Everett. Another one. You draw a circle and exclude me. I draw a bigger circle and I include you. You see... Band, come on up. Jesus is here to love on us. And he's running after you. And church, pastor can slap my hand when he gets back. Because I didn't plan on this. I'd already told Linda goodbye. And I headed out of the house. And this t-shirt was sitting on the bar. I have a bar in my house. Yes, I do. Bad, bad segue. We're not careful, church. We're gonna, we're gonna, help me. If we're not careful, church. We're gonna, we're gonna be so careful. We're gonna be so careful trying to get it right that we're gonna miss an opportunity. So you're gonna see some of these T-shirts running around. I need to read Joe's because mine's on me says, CO2, your way out of here, cancer. My friend Joe and I are 60 years old. We've been members of this church since 1974 together. His job for the last 26 years has been delivering CO2 to breweries and taverns around town. I know it's a sensitive subject because if you have had an issue with alcohol, you have an issue with this. But he's a CO2 guy. And the punchline is this. When they found out, they, being the local breweries, 
found out that he had cancer and that they weren't giving him much of a chance to live very long. What they said was, Joe Kiber? You mean that faithful guy? That guy who's here all the time taking care of us? That guy who we can count on and when we need something extra, we just ask and he delivers? That guy who sees something that needs to be done and he just does it, we don't have to ask him, he just takes care of us? That guy? That guy's in trouble? So guess what the local breweries did? They said, we're gonna have a party. And guess what the older brother said? Party? How come you're having a party with those guys? But I saw Jesus there yesterday. They made Carbo Joe. They made a beer for Joe. It's got his name on it. They made 80 kegs and 200 cases, and they're trying to sell them all. And they invited bands, and they invited food trucks, and all the money goes to Joe Kiber. Now, I could put my Pharisee hat on and have a problem with that. Or I could say what Pam said this morning in Sunday school when we talked about it and say, hmm, that sounds just like something Jesus would do. To wake us up. To say, quit being so picky. It's about Jesus after all. It's not about your doctrine. If we put all our doctrines on the wall, we'd be all over the place. We're all different. But the thing we have in common is this love of Jesus and this belief in Jesus and this ridiculous, crazy belief that God can wake Kevin up on a Saturday morning and give him a sermon. It might even be good. And if it is, Grandma Martha's saying, can't be Kevin, he's not that smart. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit in you and me knows what we need. He sees you. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. And I don't care what the doctors say. I'm going to enjoy your life. And I'm going to enjoy every moment with you. And we need to make sure we're really praying because chemo starts tomorrow. If you've not been praying yet for Joe Kiber, begin praying. He starts his chemo tomorrow. I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care. I do care what my God says. And I want to be happy in the end, and I may not get to be. But I don't get to be God. I do get to be who he says I am. And my friend Joe is a symbol of faithfulness. And he's a symbol of faith. And he's a symbol of a man who kept his family in church. And kept his family active in the church. And is making a difference in the world. One CO2 delivery at a time. Because I don't go to those places. I go to a middle school. That's where I go to minister. Where do you go? Let's sing.
bigger than our enemy. And if you're not certain of that, if you're not sure of that, then you need to find the right person to talk to. Because we are here to tell you that Calvary covered it all and that the enemy was defeated on Calvary and you have nothing to fear from this enemy. And if your enemy is too big, then you need to get closer to God and you need to get more filled with his Holy Spirit, constantly filled with his Holy Spirit, and know that this God is running after you. He is, by the way, a gentleman. The question that I asked them at my school, okay, you're chasing it, but here's the question. What are you going to do when you catch it? Okay, you need to know what you're going to do when you catch him. Because at my school, it's probably bad. What's God going to do when he catches you? Well, he's going to scold you and fix you and make sure that you're in the circle before... Oh, no, hold it. That was the Pharisees. No. He's going to run down the road, and he's going to wait for you. And if he has to whisper in your ear a few times to get you to get the message, that's what he's going to do. He's not going to body block you. He's not going to take you out. He's going to talk to you. He's running after you. And if you keep hearing noises in the night, that's him. Sing it again. to us today and every day. God, leave a residue of your goodness on us today so we take it with us wherever we go into the highways and the byways, wherever our normal path is and our not-so-normal path is, that we take your goodness with us and it sloughs off us onto others. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.